They're really ambitious and they've got a great attitude that goes along with their ambition and they're up for a risk. They really embrace it and I'm at a stage where I'm up for that as well. It's a calculated risk but our joke is risk is not a four-letter word. They realize that we'll make some mistakes, we'll have some failures, but that's the course, that's the path to success. So I want to be part of that, and they were kind enough to want me to be part of their team. So I'm just going to have a deep dive with my friends at Bristol, and we're going to make Bristol Innovations great. Today is Simon Bond's first day as Director of Bristol Innovations, an initiative launched by the University of Bristol earlier this year to accelerate entrepreneurship among its researchers, students, and staff. Simon joins from Set Squared, the global number one incubator backed by the universities of Bath, Bristol, Cardiff, Exeter, Southampton and Surrey, which he had led since 2014. He ponders what makes Bristol so successful at spin-outs. A report earlier this year found its spin-outs generate far above the average UK return per pound invested. And what lessons learned around diversity, equity and inclusion he learned at Set Squared that he hopes to apply in the new job. He also talks about the importance of inspirational founders who are giving back to the ecosystem, like Science Creates founder Harry Destekra, and why quantum, immersive media and telecoms are some of the sectors that Bristol Innovations will focus on. My name is Thierry Heles, and you are listening to Talking Tech Transfer. <laughs> Simon, welcome to the podcast. Morning, Terry. Thank you very much. It's a great way to start day one of my new job with Bristol Innovations. Thanks for having me. I look forward to learning more about your new job and learning a little bit more about what you did at Set Squared as well. To start with, can you give me an overview of Bristol Innovations? I'll do my best. I actually, I've worked with colleagues at the University of Bristol and you know, with the Bristol ecosystem for most of the 20 years I've been in tech transfer, you know, university commercialization. So I've watched the development of the university and the ecosystem and been part of it in many ways. So I think Bristol Innovations is a natural development of what's been going on for some time. The University of Bristol has got a great reputation. It's a thriving powerhouse for research and its innovation, its excellence framework, its ref results, absolutely outstanding. I saw in the job pack 94% of its research world-class ranked times higher education, putting it fifth place in the UK for research. At the same time, other things have been going on besides the strength of research at Bristol. And over the last five years or so, the development of the National Composite Centre, a University of Bristol company that was created as a catapult to really push the latter TRL levels, the, the innovation development side of research in composites has been a great success, national success. And that has been noted by the people who run the University of Bristol. Similarly, in immersive digital media, the kind of creative sector, Bristol's got some great successes. There's a uh, My World organization that is the sort of business interface with this research and businesses and the Bristol Digital Futures Institute. Once again, appetite for getting further up the development to innovation scale and getting research out into the world, making a difference. And there are many more. The Quantum Technology Innovation Center as another. Set Squared, who I, until yesterday, was working for, was a part of this movement, really, that has been gaining momentum over the last half a dozen years or so. And then I understand a couple of years ago, characters, the former vice chancellor, Rich Oldfield, the CEO of National Composite Center, Martin Sadler, formerly of Hewlett Packard, an advisor to the university, John Hunt, the Research Enterprise Division, its executive director, really have been 
putting their foot on the gas and saying, oh, come on, let's create an organization. Let's get a team together to accelerate this. And that's the rocket I'm going to sit on from today. Amazing. You've mentioned a few places there, Quantum Center, the My World. How is Bristol Innovations different and how does it fit in with the university's research and enterprise division, though? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. And I guess a sort of glib answer is, well, it's not. And actually, the deep truth in that is very much part of the research enterprise department. My Bristol Innovations team, which I'm a director, sits alongside other directors, and we're working hand in glove together with research commercialization, the civic agenda, partnerships, uh, and so on. I'm probably missing out a few very <laughs> valued colleagues, but we're shoulder to shoulder in this. And my job, my team's job at Bristol Innovations is to really up the evolutionary pace of this part of the operation. One way I think I'd like to look at this is that the research commercialization team, Andrew Rayleigh at Bristol, is, does an amazing job, incredible volume and quality of, of spin-outs. That TTO creates outstanding companies from our research and a lot of licensing opportunities as well. Bristol Innovations creates companies, organizations that create the companies that Andrew and his team spin out. So we'll be creating the infrastructure, the new institutes, new centers that bring in university research and partner with industry. The economists call it the industry pool, co-develop that. And we hope that will create so many more commercialization opportunities, a lot more spin outs, a lot more collaborations with business, a lot more opportunities really for our research to make a difference in the UK, in the Southwest, in Bristol, but around the world. How do you fit in with a digital hub for entrepreneurial activity then? I think it's called Bristol Grid. Do you work with them? Is that part of your group as well? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm very excited for this. Uh, you can tell I'm no native, but in a digital all my life. And so every part of my Bristol Innovations organization is really exciting, really important, but I'm so excited to be working with the grid. It's an online platform and we see these around the world that you and I work in, Terry, but the people who have developed it come from that ecosystem approach that we've been working on together for many years now. And so it's sometimes you could describe it as like a marketplace for innovators and entrepreneurs and researchers. It, Somebody else described it as a LinkedIn or a Facebook for those kinds of organizations. What excites me most of all is that if Bristol Innovations is about any one thing, it's about partnerships. It's about bringing together the people inside the wire, if you like, from the university. So students, staff, faculty, academics, and those outside the wire. So SMEs, entrepreneurs, investors, corporates, and so forth. And the linear approach, in my opinion, is a bit bust. Now, those sorts of uh, linear stage gates got a really important role in the back office. And this kind of in serendipitous world where the speed of change, everything's moving so quickly, you need an environment where people can respond, where they can take risks, pitch opportunities, and so forth. And the University of Bristol is a world-class public institution. We need to allow that, but within our structures. And I think the grid is the answer to that. So I just can't wait to get into the grid, dive into the water there and start working with the many super people that are already using that platform. This is a big question, and I realize it is very early days for you. But what is the big vision for entrepreneurship at Bristol? What does this look like in a few years? Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> Give me You're a very welcome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so here's my move to Bristol. I 
very excited about it. But I've worked in and around the University of Bath, set squared for the best part of 20 years. So this is a new environment. They've been so welcoming to me. But so I guess I'm not going to comment on the vision for the University of Bristol yet. I need to get on board with that. But I do know a bit about the world of entrepreneurship in universities. And it's something that has been on the rise and rise since I joined this world. I stumbled into university employment in the early noughties coming from telecommunications innovation and all of that. And uh, you know, this, I subsequently realized, was nothing to do with me. People in universities, people in government had made a conscious decision way back then, a long time ago, to add this new facet to our higher education system and introduce entrepreneurship. So set squared, my career has been really riding on that tidal wave of enthusiasm, buy-in, and funding from all of those organizations. So there's a lot to be proud of. And in what we do, we see touch points around the world. And I think in the business of this session in British universities, you know, we always look covetously at the United States, but globally speaking, the UK does that very well. However, here's the rub. British universities, entrepreneurship is a minority sport. It is absolutely the minority of students, the minority of staff and academics nationally that participate in any kind of entrepreneurship or innovation activity, despite nearly 20 years of this activity. I look at the University of Bristol, 27,000 students, 5,500 staff and faculty. And that's just inside the wire, inside the university, not looking at the ecosystem, the organ outside in the city of Bristol. And that should be the level of engagement with entrepreneurship at the University of Bristol. Why shouldn't entrepreneurship and innovation touch every one of those 32, 35,000 staff and students and be as natural part of their University of Bristol experience as any other aspect of higher education. That's not just an ambition for Bristol, my ambition for Bristol, but it's an ambition for higher education in the UK. We've done a lot, but it's still too exclusive and we need to ties it, but with serious prejudice, we've got to get out there and make this thing part of everybody's experience. There's a few points that I want to get back to in your answer there. Sure. Perhaps, though, Bristol is already doing quite well in terms of spin-outs. GovGrant released a report earlier this year saying that spin-outs generated £3.85 per £1 invested, above the UK average of £2.30. What is Bristol's secret? What is Bristol doing so much better than others? <laughs> I'm really looking forward to finding out. I'm, but they won't tell me until I sign in the contract. Those numbers are really interesting. You know, I, this is such a government speak, isn't it? The £3.85 for every £1 invested. Actually, you know, the numbers behind the numbers are just to get a taste of what's going on at Bristol. Universities work in like funny years, non-calendar years. So 2019-2020, University of Bristol spin-outs raised £489 million. And the subsequent year, 2021, that was £619 million. Now, of course, this is C, Series A, B. There's some fantastic spin-outs, Quantum, et cetera, in that. So that's the sort of multiplier when you talk about for the generation of £3.85 for every pound invested. That's the kind of quantum that we're looking at. Bristol, as I am still at midnight last night, an outsider, I look, Bristol does great numbers. You look at the spin-out report, you look at the ref, impact and so forth and it is really impressive i you know when i was pursuing this job i started to tune myself into this 
my experience of Bristol actually is on the other side of the shop. I've worked closely with the team for a long, long time through Set Squared and at the University of Bath. What struck me is the importance they place on the humor factor. They've got all the processes, they've got the structures, but the Bristol team have a very strong founder-centric attitude. And I think that's probably where the secret in the secret sauce lay, because lots of organizations have good processes and lots of organizations have good structures. But that founder centricity, I think, is the standout for me at Bristol. I wonder if that's what leads to success in the numbers. Of course, look at the number of spin-outs and so forth. But the business success of that wealth generation that, that is behind the £3.85 for every pound in, there's a human factor in there. It's a team factor, which I think is going to be very important going forward. Yeah. I've had the opportunity of visiting Bristol. Of course, I mean, I live in Cardiff, so it's literally just across the bridge. I'm in Bristol fairly regularly, and I've met quite a lot of people around the Bristol ecosystem. And yeah, there seems to be something in their spirit that just really, really works. And just the tide raises all the boats kind of thing. Like everyone wants to. It's just a really good point. Let's put names in places. So in Bristol, it's quite normal for the Xylo founder, Harry de la Croix, to hang out and to be speaking to PhDs, recent graduates around Science Create Ventures. That kind of giving back, leaning in, whatever, the ecosystem. You know, Nigel Toon, Graphcore, you know, they are members of the uh, University of Bristol's Engine Shed Set Square. So we're talking world-class entrepreneurs who represent as individuals everything that we think is great about our country, our scene. And they're very accessible, very much part of the human infrastructure of Bristol. I know you see that as well. Oh, yeah. When you, when you mentioned Harry, I had the pleasure of spending a couple of hours with him earlier this year. And he was very generous with his time. I was expecting to maybe get 15, 20 minutes with him because he's obviously incredibly busy running an incubator. Well, at the time, he's still around the incubator, running Science Creates Ventures and running the charity. And <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a powerhouse. And it's a phenomenon. And Bristol's blessed with many of those. So I think this thing is not without its challenges. Let's be clear about that. But I think in terms of the material, I was going to say, the people we've got to work with couldn't wish for a better start. Yeah. On that note, perhaps, what are some of the challenges in Bristol's ecosystem? Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, well, everything's fine. Um, yeah, these are challenging times and they're for Bristol, for everyone. I, I think it's going to be the growth companies that are coming out of Bristol now, that's the, the spin-outs. Then if you add the Bristol Innovations piece to this, which is creating new organizations, new structures in partnership with industry that's going to create even more spin-outs, we're going to need like much money. <laughs> we need so much capital. As I said, you know, the run rate of our just our spin-outs, half a billion pounds a year, and that's not all the University of Bristol's problem or opportunity to deal with it. It's clearly as a partnership ecosystem play, C to Series B plus. That Most of that raise actually has happened outside of the UK. So that's the scale of what we're looking at. When we talk about Harry, really great news. The Science Create Ventures just closed this £15 million round with the British Business Bank's Regional Angel Program. And this is good. The Bristol Private Equity Club, which is the Business Angel Network, really active really scaling up their process. But it's just not going to be enough. We're going to need so much more money just to allow these companies to be as good as they can be. So that's what we've got to step up 
to do. And I, on the other the side of it, what's the, the jeopardy here is I think we've got political crisis, economic crisis, we've got international security crisis, a lot of stuff going on. I can see that, in my opinion, we're going to see a lot of M&A coming up over the next year or so. From our perspective, the UK sort of science applied R&D companies are very high quality. We've got great universities of which, of course, I'm going to say Bristol is absolutely the vanguard, but you know, we're not alone. We're part of a really valuable UK asset. The pound's down in the tank, so our businesses are high quality and they're cheap. And there's a situation. So one of the concerns I have is that the frothiness of upcoming M&A driven by those things, and the National Security Investment Act gives a bit of an edge to US, European inquirers. And it's going to feel really busy. It's going to feel like we're doing a good job. But the challenge, the opportunity is how does Bristol rise to the challenge to secure these companies' growth around here? And this is not Little Britain. We're open to quality, good provenance, international, global capital, but we want that growth to lead to investments in skilled people, our sons and daughters, great research, collaborative research and development with our researchers and building businesses, expanding businesses, creating the wealth around here in our neighborhood. That spillover rather than trickle down is important. So there's a, a responding to that environment that is very much on my mind. Yeah. On a more positive note then perhaps, what are the opportunities in Bristol ecosystem? You've already mentioned quantum, and we talked a little bit about biotech with Harry. Yeah. Is that the two areas of focus for Bristol? This, yeah, Bristol Innovations is a new team, and prioritization is going to be a big part of it. So, yeah, I think quantum is very important. Bristol's got a great track record in that. It's about a third of the UK's spin-outs in quantum are from Bristol Shop Research, from the Quantum Technology Innovation Center. That needs to be scaled, and there are you know, definitely new frontiers for quantum in terms of the marketplace are very attracted to the quantum communications piece of this and working with domestic partners and international partners. So we're going to have a big push on quantum frontiers for sure. And I mentioned the sort of immersive media. You would have seen our spin-out Ultraleap, formerly Ultra Haptics, the haptics technology, the sort of touch-free control for the metaverse we see that company and many others that are in that space coming forward. We believe there's enough traction, there's enough pull for some kind of a national creative technologies center that is anchored in Bristol, but able to provide access to our R&D to global companies that are leading in the space and vice versa for them to inform our R&D. Telecoms is really important to us. Bristol as a partner in the UK Telecommunications Innovation Network, led by the Digital Catapult, which is really responding to the challenge of renewing the UK's telecoms innovation sector to address the new 5G, 6G telecoms infrastructure. You know, companies like Zeta Telecoms that have come out of Bristol already, and there are so many more are stepping up there. And that's, I think, a big opportunity for Bristol innovations. We've got excellent academic leadership, They're very close to industry. And you know, Terry, I come from telecoms and I ran the Silicon Southwest networker around here. So that kind of sector does appeal. We're talking about the National Creative Technology Center, a new frontier for quantum telecoms innovation. Adding to this, we talked about Harry and the Xylo effect, which really helped the world revalue upwards the advanced therapies capabilities of Bristol. And we want to build on that. Harry Science Creates 
bought a lot of new infrastructure resources to this, and we just see this as a sunrise opportunity. Last two I'll mention, cybersecurity is also a strong opportunity for Bristol innovations, spin-outs like KETS, which has made some you know, very strong raises. It's got a key partnership collaboration with GCHQ. You know this is a destination for investment. We saw the launch of the NATO Innovation Venture Fund at uh, Global Corporate Venturing just a, a few months ago. So I'd like to be addressing that. And then finally, the National Composite Centre, that structure that in many ways contributed to the early thinking of Bristol Innovations has shown us the opportunity for as net zero materials asset that we'll look to create to, you know, we've got more than a couple of spin-outs in the area, Albatherm, Linat. So to exploit that opportunity more, NCC has very, very strong corporate partners, Airbus, Rolls-Royce, GKN, et cetera. So building on that. So, you know, in a nutshell, half a dozen there that we'll be majoring on, and that's certainly not the end of it. There's a pipeline and an ecosystem of opportunities to support that. But I would hope if we speak in about a year's time that you'll be holding me to account and I'll respond well to progress with most of those six mega projects that we've got. I look forward to that conversation, but I'm very sure that you will pull it off. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Is- <laughs> I've known you for quite a few years now, and you seem to be someone who doesn't just sit back and let things happen. You you very much get up and go and very much a driver. So I can see you doing very great work at Bristol. Thank you very much. I hope to live up to your high expectations, Terry. <laughs> is there generally enough support from the UK government? Then is there the right kind of framework, the right kinds of grant funding? Yeah, obviously, uh, yes, we invest a lot as a country in this area. And we check ourselves constantly against other countries. <laughs> Many of those countries are like a different shape, different size, uh, different levels of different structures to us, but we still compare ourselves to South Korea, United States, and so forth. And we tear ourselves up over league tables. But I think the big picture is good in the detail. I sometimes get a little irritated. There's a sort of a slow tail to things. There's a, a bunch of policy, which is talking about Let's get things joined up if we want to compete internationally. You know, take quantum, for example. You know, the sum of what our country invests in quantum is great, but you know, one part of the government is talking nationally, another part is still stuck in looking at the world in um, LEP structures, you know, whatever there's 50, 60 of those. Another part is still got half a foot in the 1990s regional development and looks at the world as the southeast, the southwest, and this sort of legacy structures that I think have a tendency to dilute the mission and the zeal of what's happening now. Mission and zeal, you think about the thinking of Masukato, uh, Haskell, Steen, Westcliff, they're the kind of coalition, I think, of intellectual leadership around what needs to be done. That needs to be either sorted out or we just need to work better with each other. The government thing, it is true in my life in universities have really accelerated from research and teaching into this knowledge exchange, innovation activity. It's de facto, it's there. This is what universities do for our country and our neighborhoods. So I think we can say, right, we have a responsibility to make sure that government policy keeps up with that reality. And we do act as a cohesive United Kingdom to respond to the opportunities and the challenges that we've got. The other thing I say is, I think the government does what the government does, and it's it's okay. We always want more. It could be better organized, but we are where we are. I think 
we need to work better with the private sector. And, you know, I don't want to see UK government money, my tax money being used as some kind of discount voucher for cheap Britain. I want to see it used as an incentive to bring high quality, ambitious, good provenance capital from the world, because that's what our researchers and innovators deserve. So making government money co-invest with private money, I suppose, is the change I'd like to see. Yeah. Yeah, I very much share that view, and I have a feeling quite a lot of other people do as well. One of the things that you said squared that I think is very laudable was the focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, you had initiatives like Enterprising Women, for example. Is that something that you're planning to launch at University of Bristol as well? Maybe not that exact same program, but similar initiatives? Well, a short answer is yes. I wondered if that came up. I was talking to a colleague of mine at Bristol Innovations yesterday, and so well, we got this blank piece of paper, what are we going to do? And he's a you know, similar generation to me. And he reminded me of an 80s book by sci-fi writer, William Gibson, Neuromancer, shaped to our heads when we were kids. And the lovely line that is, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. And I think actually that applies very much to the inclusivity, diversity, equality work at Bristol, enterprising women as investors, business angel. Actually, there are great pockets of activity already in Bristol. Nothing needs to be reinvented, but I think the opportunity is to connect many of these initiatives that are there. And then really, uh, I think maybe with some help, but I think people just work it out for themselves. The power of, of the sum of the whole is pretty powerful. I think we could leverage from our investment in the sector already a lot more resources into it. It's the same playbook as the access to entrepreneurship. Pocket behavior is great. It's a good example, good to raise aspirations, but we need to democratize and scale. It's got to be a universal experience. So it won't be new, but it's going to be scaled up. Yeah, amazing. We, I think we should perhaps mention, if we are talking about female leadership, people like Michelle Barber, who are obviously already doing fantastic work at Bristol. So it is happening. It's, as you say, it doesn't need to be invented or reinvented. It just needs to be boosted a bit. Today, as this goes out, this will be your first official day with Bristol Innovations. You've wrapped up more than eight years with Set Squared. What prompted the job move? Why did you come to Bristol? Oh, God. I must say, Thierry, I don't see it as a sort of leaving one and joining the other because the University of Bristol is a founding member of the Set Squared partnership and always had a very important role in it. So I'm certainly not leaving colleagues at Set Squared, but it, there is a change. The flip side is true. I know the characters at Bristol. I know who I'm going to be working with really well. We've worked on this mission one way or another for the last decade and a half. So I want to really deep dive into this with them. And they're really ambitious and they've got a great attitude that goes along with their ambition and they're up for a risk. They really embrace it. And I'm at a stage where I'm up for that as well. It's a calculated risk, but our joke is risk is not a four-letter word. They realize that we'll make some mistakes, we'll have some failures, but that's the course, that's the path to success. So I want to be part of that. And they were kind enough to want me to be part of their team. So I'm just going to have a deep dive with my friends at Bristol, and we're going to make Bristol Innovations great. Amazing. You've already mentioned you were at Bath before that from 2003 to 2014, the head of Enterprise and Innovation Centre. And before that, you said you were in telecoms. How did you stumble into this profession? Yeah, it was an accident between working in telecoms and 
coming into the universities, I had a couple of businesses. So one I founded from scratch, which was a TV networks business, which we sold quite quickly. And the other was one that I bought. And they're both two very, uh, as a media, a digital media business, and both really different experiences, both with their attention. They did absolutely consume my entire life, each one of those experiences. I sold the second business. I bought the second business with the proceeds of the first, sold the second business, and I replied to an ad for Set Squared, which is an incubator. I thought, oh, maybe I'll get to find another business to work in, invest in, or or whatever. And I was drawn into working at scale, but it's not commoditizing. So the thing about what we do is that you do work with the founders at the most exciting, perilous, emotional stage. It's It's really exciting. And you're working with lots of them. And I found that to be quite heady and in a nice way, quite an addictive pursuit to work with 30, 40 business founders in an incubator, the trials and tribulations of their life, their business life, their personal lives, all bound up into this sort of fulcrum moment. It's a very difficult thing to leave, as has been self-evident. Yeah. What are some of the lessons that you've learned in your career to date that you're hoping to apply at Bristol or that you've probably previously applied already as well? Yeah, it's interesting leaving one job and joining another. There's people at SetSquared, that extended team. Imagine working closely with the research innovation enterprise directors of six leading universities, the commercialization teams from six universities, the thousand strong investors. You just get there's just so much wealth of knowledge, insight. So what do you take with, and all of that's important and exists in Bristol Innovations. I'll bring some. But the thing that um, I've realized is so great about Set Squared, and I really hope that we can do this in Bristol Innovations as well, is operationalizing success. So winning bids, winning resources for these big infrastructures. It's pretty hard graph, but we can do that. Operationalizing them for a number of years to the point where they're self-sustaining. That kind of business process is something that eludes a lot of this sector. And the Set Squared team in the incubators and the central team, the programs have really nailed that. If we're going to build these businesses, these organizations that create more and more spin-outs, they need excellent operationalization. And so it's an odd thing, but I'll be very focused on that. And I want to bring that ambition to Bristol Innovations as well. Is there something that, well, I suppose there is, but what is something that the UK could learn from Bristol or maybe said Square more broadly? The, what could we, what could you sort of, do you remember we learn from each other? So I'm so proud of Set Squared and the work that team we've done, the global number one, the company's raising over a billion pounds last year. This it's there's so much, but I look at Northern Gritstone, what they've done with their fund. I look over our mates at IMEC in Leuven in Belgium with their integration of universities around that research technology. There's lots of it. I think one thing that Set Squared explicitly share with other universities is the way that we've worked to break down barriers or improve communications between staff and faculty. Universities are are well-governed public organizations and a relatively formal organization in many of them. To operate successfully in our ecosystem-driven world where relationships, partnerships are the critical asset, staff, faculty, students, private sector need to work respectfully and easily with each other. Setswick seems to have created a kind of an otherness, a special environment where job titles, structures, 
etc are left at the door and people get on with stuff and they do it well they tolerate mistakes and they celebrate each other's success that's what i think we all need to get stuck into that kind of attitude amazing we are very nearly out of time unfortunately is there anything else that you want people to know about bristol innovations before we go that uh, the trite thing is that we're open for business actually we're open for conversations this is building on established great practice excellence at the university Bristol, but it's a new team. I'm the, the new director, and we are open to work with like-minded partners as equal shoulders to get what we need to do as a country. I really want to see people. I want to be out at your events, conferences, Terry, and in the world, Praxis Oral, Russell Group organizations, and really work well with others to achieve our common ambitions. Bristol Innovations is about Bristol, but it's about getting Bristol out working easily with others around the country and around the world. Amazing. Simon, thank you so much. I look forward to staying in touch and seeing you at events around the country. And yeah, staying in touch. Thank you so much for joining me and telling me more about Bristol Innovations. Thanks, Terry. Have a good day. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Helis. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and peruse our archive of more than 50 interviews. This podcast is a production by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia limited publication. You can find our website at globalventuring.com forward slash university, on Twitter at GU Venturing, and on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find out more about them at inearproduction.com. If you have any comments or are interested in being a guest on a future episode, feel free to email me at thehalers at globalventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globalventuring.com. We'd also really love it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't yet, do recommend this podcast to your friends and colleagues, or maybe even share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, goodbye. Do 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 do